But let's turn our attention to the book of Habakkuk. Over the next couple sets of weeks, we are going to be uh, unfolding uh, this prophetic message that came to a man who really had lots of questions. Uh, The prophet Habakkuk is one who really uh, laments his time and situation that he was looking at. I'm not sure about you, but at times as I look at the world, I look and I begin to wonder, does this world really make sense? I see some of the injustices and the issues and the struggles and the sin that are so prevalent, and I begin to wonder, God, where, where are you? God, why aren't you doing something? And if you're like me in those moments, you're asking the very same questions Habakkuk asked in his day. He saw a lot of violence. He saw a lot of treachery. And he wondered, as a follower of God, how could a loving God, how could a powerful God seemingly sit idly by while all this evil took place? If sometimes we get so busy that we don't see the evil around us. I was struck by the evil in our world when on my TV screen came the story of a mom, Isabel Martinez. You probably may have heard of this this last week, a horrific story. A mom of four married to a man in suburban Atlanta. For whatever reason, because of evil in her heart, I'm sure, she stabbed all four of her children and her husband to death. Now what made me even more angry was when they showed her being arraigned in the courtroom. You would have thought there would have been a stoic woman, uh, maybe a woman that seemed distant Uh, No, Isabel, when the camera came on her, gave two thumbs up and smiled. How can a God allow innocence, like four kids and a loving husband, be snuffed out and the perpetrator, the murderer, give a smile and a thumbs up? It seems as if God doesn't care about justice. As one takes a broader view at this issue of evil and looks to the world we live in, we see injustice all around us. In the last century, we have seen more people killed because of warfare than all other centuries before it. Many of those millions that were killed were innocent people. They were non-combatants. We've seen the mass slaughter of whole people groups through genocide and holocaust. And there are far too many of those to even mention in the last hundred years. In our country alone, we have seen almost 60 million unborn children killed through abortion. We have seen millions upon millions of kids either kidnapped or people put into slavery of all kinds. In our world today, the innocent continually are harassed, beat down, downtrodden, and exploited. They're maimed and they're murdered. By who? evil and corrupt people. Now, right now as we speak, right now as we sit in our comfortable sanctuary, there are myriads of people right at this moment who are crying out in pain because of affliction, whether by famine or storm. They're crying out for a reprieve. They're crying out for deliverance. And in that moment, we as Christians have two questions to ask. Where are you, God? And why will this continue on? Why will you allow it to go forward? Now bring it closer to home. 
We see injustice in the world, but some of you this morning are asking these two questions because, not because you've seen it in the news, but because you have your own struggle or injustice hitting you and your life. You've sought to follow God and do what He says, and the only thing you see is that you fall farther and farther behind and the evil and the sinful prosper. You followed God and your marriage is a wreck. You've been obedient to God and there's still no money. You've made God your priority and the doctor keeps giving you medical news that gets worse and worse. It seems the more holy you become, the more suffering and sorrow abound. While happiness and contentment is the way of the pagan, sorrow and lack is what we have at times as Christians. So we ask again, where is God? And how long will God allow the faithful to languish and the pagan to prosper? This is the theme of the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. This is the reason why he writes it. How can a follower of God do what seemingly is right and have his life and his nation and his friends and his family be torn apart? How is it that we can follow God and at every corner not find peace and tranquility, but find trouble around every corner? Why is it that the holy can't catch a break? What is a Christian to do when their world is falling apart? You see, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, I'm going to say that a whole bunch of times by the way, Habakkuk is one uh, who teaches us just like Job did. That though we follow God, it does not exempt us from struggles and trials. He will be like the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who lamented the disobedience of God's people and a call for them to take up obedience once again. Habakkuk serves as a teacher. He's a lesson writer, if you will, for what it means to wait patiently on God, even when your world seemingly is falling apart. One of the things that we don't do really well as Christians, and I would really change that and say what I really don't do well as a Christian is wait. A couple of years ago, we were waiting on cancer diagnosis for Amanda, and I remember just dying inside and allowing all this anxiety and all this fear and all this concern You know, I barely could breathe at one point and all the while wanted to vomit at the same time. Waiting is not fun. Waiting on an answer, especially an answer that will take away sorrow, that will take away pain, seems like moments go on for centuries. And as a result of that, we need someone to tell us how to go about this. And God, in His great and immeasurable love and grace for us, has dedicated a book of his Bible to the teaching of this. So let's turn our attention to Habakkuk, and we're going to look at the first four verses this morning. And we're going to learn about this man, we're going to learn about his message, we're going to learn about what we are to do when God seems silent or absent this morning under the heading, Where Are You, God? So let's look to Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now I'm going to do it and read this in the way that I believe as scholars have declared to us 
he would have been writing this. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. How long will I cry to you violence? And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence, they're before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Let's pray. Father God, we hear a cry from our brother. And it's a cry that many of us have cried. Many of us have spoken in the calamities of our own lives. We see the injustice. We see the idolatry. We see the immorality all around us, whether in our own country or to the far-flung places on this earth. And we ask, where are you, God? God, why are you not doing what you used to do? God, why are you allowing such evil to take place? What is your plan? What is your purpose for all of this suffering? And Lord, we learn much about this prophet whom you gave a message to, to proclaim the lament first. And we're, Lord, we're going to sit there this morning and allow the tension of your prophet's lament to take hold in our lives. But we are going to see as we continue in this book that our brother Habakkuk goes from lament to praise. And he's going to teach us how to go from complaining to praising you in chapter 3. And so we praise you this morning. Even though our questions haven't been answered, even though we see injustice all around us, we praise you because you are the God who is in control. You are the God who has a plan, and your plan and purposes cannot be thwarted by evil men. So we praise you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of the universe. And it's to you we give all of this. In your Son's name, amen. As we look this morning at this opening section of Scripture, we ask the question, when God seems silent or absent or far off, what are we to do? I want you to notice three things this morning. We must first reacquaint ourselves with a little-known prophet. We must reacquaint ourselves with a little-known prophet. Tucked away in the middle of twelve minor prophets is the prophet and his writing, Habakkuk. His writing is 56 verses long. It would take you just a short sitting to read through it, and I would encourage you to do so moving forward. Also, by the way, on our Facebook page, we have put a video about six minutes long that gives you an overview of what was going on in the times and days of Habakkuk. Now, when we talk about Habakkuk being a minor prophet, what we don't mean is that he was of less significance than the major prophets. The major prophets, some of them being Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel, all of these guys wrote longer prophecies and prophetic writings. The twelve minor prophets are known to be minor because they are shorter in length. So if you want some help, I didn't tell Pastor Steve I would do this, but I'm a major preacher, and Pastor Steve is a minor preacher. You can tell him I said that. 
It's all about length. It's all about how long their writing or their teaching was. Both are of great significance. And here's the thing that I love about minor prophets. And we've looked at some minor prophets already. Haggai, Malachi. And we have learned great truths. Jonah is another minor prophet. Short little books, short little stories or prophetic messages that packed a big punch. Well, what's going on in the time of Habakkuk? He lived and wrote during a time when the nation of Israel was divided. Gone are the days of King David and King Solomon. After those kingdoms and reigns, the nation of Israel broke up. Ten tribes of Israel went to the north, and that northern kingdom was called Israel. And then two uh, southern, kingdom, or southern tribes uh, resided in a place called Judah. Now, the northern kings had bad, evil king at one after another. But the southern kingdom would have some good kings and then some bad kings. It was kind of a mixed bag. Habakkuk is writing to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, those two tribes. And he's writing now 200 years since the glory days of King David and King Solomon. Israel was divided. And just like at any point in any country when it is divided, it is vulnerable to attacks within and out. And Israel and Judah found themselves struggling to find its way. It struggled to stay true to God and His righteous decrees and found itself, especially in the northern kingdom, living like the pagans around them. And so enters the man Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a man amidst such dark times that God sends a message to him. A message to speak to a nation and to a people. And isn't that true today? Isn't it true that God has sent us all to speak a message? You may not feel all that equipped. I bet you Habakkuk didn't either. You may feel outnumbered, and I'm sure Habakkuk felt that way. But God has given us as His ambassadors, as His messengers, a job to proclaim to a nation and to a people and to a world the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of the Gospel. And we are reminded that it only takes one person to herald that message. My question this morning for you is, are you proclaiming that message today? God, just like He did with Habakkuk, has given you and I a message. And that message was not to be kept for ourselves, but to be declared to all others that we come in contact with. Now, Habakkuk was given this message. And we know that he was given a message, but when did it happen? It happened at the end of King Josiah's reign. King Josiah was the last of the kings who was a holy king. He had brought back the Word of God. He had brought back the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. But it was a short-lived revival. Seemingly it was a top-down revival. It became a law. You had to study the Scriptures But I want you to recognize, and this is really important for us as Americans, when you legislate morality, and it doesn't touch the heart, but it just moves because that's the law, the law is only good until the law becomes non-existent. And so we need to be careful. If we think that Washington is the way we're going to bring righteousness back into this world, it may change things for a short season, but if we don't change human hearts 
then the change will be short-lived. And so we got to be very careful because Josiah uh, had a revival, but it was a top-down, it was a bureaucratic revival. And he said, you're going to study the Word of God. You're going to go to temple. You're going to offer sacrifices. This is what the people of God are going to do. But it never impacted their heart. And here now, a couple years after Josiah's reign, another king, Jehoiakim, had come into uh, his place, and he was an evil king. He began to offer uh, praise and worship not to God of Jehovah God, the God of the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but now he was saying that the foreign deities, the gods of the neighboring countries, now would deserve worship and praise. And Habakkuk starts to watch how, how very quickly, just a, in a matter of a couple years, how bad things can get. And he begins to hear a message from God, and God says, listen, I'm going to deal with this sin. And what's going to happen is, is I'm going to bring a neighboring empire, an evil group of people, to come and take you over and take you away from your land and you're going to be brought into captivity. And we know that Habakkuk lived during the time that he did because the Bible says he will see this with his own eyes. And we know that it would just be a matter of about 30 years total that Habakkuk would see the coming of the Chaldean, the Babylonian armies from modern-day Iraq. And they would come, and he would experience that. Now, here's the amazing thing. We know nothing about Habakkuk besides his name. We have no lineage or genealogy of this man. There's no mention of a mom or a dad. There's no mention of where he went to school or the degrees he had. There's no mention of his athletic achievements. There's nothing known of him except for this. He loved God and he walked faithfully with him. What an incredible reminder for us as a people here in 2017. What a reminder for parents like myself who think that our kids are going to be successful because of what they do in the arts or academics or in athletics. Or whether they're popular or not. The thing we need to teach ourselves and our children is that there are two important things that we need to be known for. Listen, they need to know our name. That's important, right? Our name tells us we existed. But what's most important about ourselves is that we walked with God and we followed Him all the days of our lives. Habakkuk's got no resume. You see, Habakkuk is a reminder that resumes are no good unless you have a relationship with Jesus. Your position in the world means nothing. What matters is your position with God. And he reminds us of this. So we know this man of mystery. We know nothing more except for what we know of his message. His message. Habakkuk's message would not be the only warning that would be given during that time. He's a contemporary or a partner prophet of Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Ezekiel. Each of them calling people back to God and His ways. In this three-chapter book, it's going to show us a little bit about the man who Habakkuk was. Scholars have given him the title because of his message of the doubting, being the doubting Thomas of the Old Testament. He would write a poem, a song in these three chapters. In fact, the last chapter of the message <clears throat> that he gives would be used as a worship song during corporate worship for the people of God. But it's a poem that begins with a lament of sadness and disappointment and moves to a place of praise. 
But let's notice a couple things about this message that are important. First of all, it's a message that comes from God himself. We see in verse 1, it is an oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Well, where did he come up with it? We will see over and over again in these, in these uh, chapters that they come from God. And again, what an important reminder as the prophetic messenger for this body in the local church that my job is not to preach my agenda or my words or my ideas, but to proclaim and thunder from this pulpit the message that God gives. And so be careful, if you ever find yourself not uh, in a Village Bible Church, or maybe as you are at Village Bible Church, that every time a man enters into this pulpit, he's preaching the Word of God and not his own ideas. Be Bereans. We are to proclaim the oracles of God, just as Habakkuk did, and each of the faithful prophets did. Next, we need to recognize that this was a message that overwhelmed the messenger. That word oracle there, if you take notes, you could put this word. Many Bible translations translate the word oracle for burden. A heavy weight to carry. And it was a burden. As we see what he's going to talk about, it was a burdensome message. This burden speaks of a deep concern that he had for his people, his society, and his nation. He cries out in verse 2, How long shall I cry for help? Cry to you violence. He's worked up. He's emotional. He's passionate. What a reminder for us this morning that we too should be burdened for our neighborhood. Burdened for our workplaces. Burdened for our communities. Burdened for the world that we live in. Sadly, far too many of us are calloused and comfortable. We have forgotten what it means to be shook to our inner core. You see, we live life on cruise control in our suburban lives, unchanged by the circumstances around us. We live less than 45 miles away from one of the most violent cities in all of the world. Hundreds of people this year will be mowed down in the streets of Chicago, Brothers and sisters, we spend time in that city. We do commerce in that city. And where are our hearts burdened for the loss of life and the seemingly uh, uh, unneeded violence and slaughter that takes place in a city just a stone's throw away from here? Where's our burden? Where are we crying out in our prayers that we need God to act? Notice this burden should lead us to action. To tell the world that there's a hope. He finishes up at the end of this burden in chapter 3 and he says, You are the God of our salvation. And where is our burden to share with the world that is through faith and repentance and trust in Jesus Christ where we find the forgiveness of our sins? That we find in Jesus the promise of redemption and restoration of all things. This is a burden, listen, that is not pessimistic. Habakkuk is not a pessimistic one, but he is one who is looking and anticipating and hoping and praying and wishing for the promise of God to be fulfilled in his time, knowing that the God who promises is faithful. But in the meantime, what are we to do? This message is a message that has three points. Write this down very quickly, just somewhere on the side. Uh, first of all, in chapter 1, we are going to see faith tested. 
we're going to see faith tested. Isn't that what happens when the circumstances and troubles of life come our way? Our faith is tested. Then in chapter 2, we'll see that faith is taught. It's taught. God will teach the prophet in his posterity that faith is uh, founded and established and upheld by the power of this immense, powerful God himself. Therefore, he says, don't trust in men. Therefore, don't trust in armies. Don't trust in chariots or anything else of this world. But trust in God alone because it is his world and he's in control. Finally, we see faith is triumphant. It's triumphant. If we're willing to live by faith and not by sight, and we're willing to hold on to God in the good times and in the bad, we are told that God will triumph over his enemies and he'll make all things new. So the question this morning is, where is your faith? Is your faith being tested? Is your faith being taught? Do you see your faith being triumphant over the circumstances of life? Well, we take God's Word into our hands and we listen to the great teacher who will help grow our faith and show us the result of our faith. Well, notice the thing that comes up to Habakkuk is that the times that he lived in are times that we should recognize that our world is filled with similar problems. He looks at his world and he tells us his world and right away in 2017 America and the world we live in, we should say, boy, that sure sounds like us. Now that's crazy because 3,000 years ago and 3,000 years of human history has passed since Habakkuk shared this message. So what would this ancient man from a far off distant country with all kinds of different cultures have to say to us? Well, how would his world or his situation in life be anything remotely close to what we're dealing with? It has to be altogether different. But as we learn, and as Solomon reminds us, there's nothing new under the sun, right? And so two themes ring true for the people of God. And the first is, we live in a world of problems. And the problem is, is man's sinful actions. Man's sinful actions. Like us today, Habakkuk was one who lived in a world that seemed to be rampant with sin. Man's sinful actions fell into three areas of deep concern for both the people that were involved and the concern of the prophet. First of all, there was an issue of immorality. There was an issue of immorality. Now when we think of the word immorality, we usually go to the sensual side of things. uh, To the debauchery of fornication and adultery and, and lust. But that's not what we see in Habakkuk's day, while that may have been going on, that doesn't seemingly isn't much of his concern. But what we see is an issue of violence and destruction. What he articulates in these opening verses is that mayhem was celebrated and cherished. The snuffing out of one's life through acts of barbarism was a sign that you were powerful. He uses five words. Notice in the text, violence, iniquity, destruction, strife, and contention. It is in this description that we learn that his times were filled with havoc and strife, where treachery abounded. Oppressive behavior was commonplace. Scandal and debauchery were carried out without retribution. The weak were marginalized as a powerful enemy decimated anyone in their wake. And we look at that scenario 3,000 years ago. And it's as if it comes right out of the morning newspaper. We too live during treacherous times. 
We too live in a time where our appetite for death and destruction grows. And sadly, it's not just culture that struggles with it, but we as believers struggle with it as well. Let me share you with a couple of reasons why I think this is true in our day. We live in a time of violence and strife, and it is seen in what, what I will call our national war spirit. There's something odd about us as Americans that when we have to go to war, we get excited about it. We call the decimation of, of our world shock and awe. We are excited when we see our planes dropping massive bombs. We have this morbid curiosity of the devastation and destruction when our presidents and our, and our Congress allow and authorize the dropping of the mother of all bombs. And we never ask the question, what did that bomb hit? What innocent life was lost? Now please, if you know me, you know that I give a lot of credibility to government to wage war when it needs to. But there is something odd about us as a nation when we get excited about going to war and dropping bombs on human beings, people that God has created. Let us be so very careful that we are not crying out as they did in the day of Habakkuk, violence and destruction. During the last Gulf War uh, with Iraq and Afghanistan, in the foyer, I heard an individual in our church say, I hope our army makes that place a parking lot. Are you kidding me? That would be the death and destruction of millions of people. How would you feel if someone was to say that of you? You know what we call those types of people? Terrorists. Let us be very careful to recognize who our enemy is and when we feel justified and we make sure that all contingencies are met that we with great patience and great sorrow say it must lead to this. There is a moment and a time for justified war. I think we as Americans and even as American Christians have lost that definition. The second thing that I see in our world that's true of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, I'm doing it again, Habakkuk, is that violence and destruction has become a culture of entertainment in our day. Can I tell you, this convicts me probably more than it will convict anyone else. We watch movies where myriads of people are killed. And we're not shocked. In fact, we learn that movie directors are trying to find more and more heinous ways for flesh and blood to be splattered about cameras because that's what puts people's bottoms into seats at movie theaters. And the more violence, the more carnage that we can come up with, the better. Now, at least in movies, we have a, a, an ability to say that if you're not of age, you can't watch it because a young mind can't change that. But here's the problem. We have video games that the whole focus and intention of video games and parents, you, you've allowed this because you're asleep at the wheel. You've allowed your kids to play these games where killing is enjoyable, where killing is allowed and it's the name of the game it's the goal to put away human life and we need to be careful as Christians to recognize this is exactly what the prophet is telling us to be careful of we need to be careful we do not grow callous in the pursuit and protection of human life you see we wonder why our young people walk into schools and into cities and gun down people with no regard because we have created here in America a culture of destruction and violence. 
Next we see not only this issue of immorality taking place, but we see injustice. Injustice. Let me remind you that this was the nation of Judah. These were the people of God. The descendants and the patriarchs of King David. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the people of God whom God had nurtured and cared for. Who God had done, whom God had done great things for. These people had the law of the Lord. They had the scriptures. They had a group of individuals that were given a job to teach and proclaim the good news. But notice what Habakkuk says. He says there's just all kinds of iniquity, all kinds of death and violence. There's strife and contention. And notice verse 4, the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. He says the wicked surround the righteous. So anybody who preaches the law of God, they were snuffed out. They were pushed away. They were told to stay in their corner. And because of that, anarchy rose up. You see, God had given them a plan and a purpose. But it had been a half a century since the revival had broken out in the land under King Hezekiah. Fifty years had gone by, and the people had become lax in their attention to the Word of God. And because of that, the temple, which was a central place of worship, was no longer being attended to by the people. It became, and it fell into disrepair. Anarchy ruled the day. And how did this happen? People grew lax in hiding God's Word in their heart. Public worship became something that became less and less important. And I read this, and I'm blown away, because what he says is the law of God lost its power and its place in society. We look at the world we live in today, and we lament the days gone by, the days of the good old days, if you will, when the Word of God was allowed in schools, and prayer there as well, and, and uh, churches on every corner and all of that. And we look at the debauchery and the, and the violence in the world around us, and we look to culture and we point at them and we say, it's your fault. But what Habakkuk seems to say is it falls on the heart and the minds of the spiritual. And let me remind you of the culture we live in today. We too live in a time where like the people of God in the prophet's day, we too are distracted by all manner of things. They had lost the focus on God's Word. And we too have biblical literacy is at an all-time low. It's so bad that people don't even own Bibles that churches now just put it on the screen. Well, because we know you don't have one, so we'll help you out with that. People aren't studying the Word. They don't have the Word before them. What about church attendance? Church attendance here in America is on a death spiral. Every year we see thousands upon thousands of churches closing their doors. Churches now, because they don't want to be pushed against the wall by people, no longer preach and teach the Word of God. Because anytime you call out a sin in the church, you are given the title of legalist. And so stay away from that. Just tell people what they want to hear. And we wonder why the world is where it's at today. And listen, instead of pointing to culture, the blame should fall upon the church. We have lost our way. We are not the church that Jesus said would storm the gates of hell and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because as we look, there are breaches in so many of our walls, we are barely able to even mount an assault. We live during days of great injustice and the reason why is we do not uphold the Word of God just as the days of Habakkuk were. 
Finally, we see immorality and justice come from one place, idolatry. Idolatry. Habakkuk lived in a time where God was no longer the God of Israel or Judah. And instead of turning to him, they turned to all other kinds of gods. The time of Habakkuk was a time where the people of God adopted the gods of the neighboring communities. And here's the crazy thing. When they were brought into the promised land, the land that they were now residing in, God had given them a mandate. I'm going to bless you so that you may be a blessing to your neighbors. I am going to call you out of this world so that you will be a messenger, a people, a collective voice that will call to your neighbors and to bring those unbelievers into the fold and flock of God. You see, their job was to have an impact on their neighbors. But here's what took place. Because God's word became less, because God's people stopped doing what they were called to do, instead of them having an impact on their neighbors, their neighbors had an impact on them. And could we say that of some of us today? That we're not having the impact on our neighbors. Our neighbors don't know they have a Christian living beside them because you've adopted the neighbor's beliefs you've adopted the neighbor's practices you've adopted the neighbor's mouth or the neighbor's entertainment or the neighbor's activities and god has said didn't i call you out didn't i make you a people under myself didn't i make you a holy nation a a uh, uh, a holy priesthood didn't i do that so that you can declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and brought you into his wonderful light isn't that what you're supposed to do for your neighbors but like the people of judah's day you have followed the ways of the neighbors instead of being the light that the neighbors need idolatry will lead us always down a death spiral so that brings another problem all of this sin all of this destruction leads to a second problem. That's God's seeming absence. Habakkuk has two looks. On one side, he sees sin, he sees violence, he sees struggle, he sees all kinds of issues, he sees all kinds of sin. And then he looks to the other side. And he says, where are you, God? Why aren't you doing something about this? I mean, you are the immovable God. You are the almighty God. You're the powerful God. And you're allowing evil kings and corrupt cultures to win the day. Why aren't you doing something? He cries out at the top of his lung, lungs. He says, listen, winning, or evil is winning and righteousness is being routed. Where are you? Why won't you do something? Listen, what he's thinking of, why won't you be the kind of God you used to be? Bring a flood. God, you were powerful back in the book of Exodus. Why don't you bring some plagues down on this? God, why are you allowing the evil to prevail? Why don't you bring back Samson so he can slaughter our enemies? Why don't you bring back David to conquer the giants before us? How can you sit back in heaven and allow this stuff to take place? You don't care about me. You don't care about us. If we were honest this morning, we could confess these types of questions that come from our own lips. In times of trial and trouble, amidst moral decay and corruption, we ask, where are you, God? When tragedy and sorrow strikes and innocence is taken, we ask, where was God? Why wasn't He doing anything? Why do we read about these amazing counters in the Scripture to only hear crickets from heaven today? Why aren't you doing something, God? Why won't you respond? How can you let your world go down this downward spiral so quickly and not address it? 
It's a tale as old as time. It was true for Habakkuk and it's true for us today. So what are we to do when God is silent? Notice we need to renew. We need to renew the prescription that God provides. I'm going to close with this. It won't take very long. Because you as people need to apply this very specifically to your own life. But let me share with you in these first four verses of this book, when you find yourself wondering where God is at amidst your troubles, this is the book for you. In verse 4, we're given a set of remedies. In these four verses, I'm sorry, we get a set of remedies when we feel like the prophet does. Where are you, God, and how long are you going to allow this to take place? Number one, we need to be honest with God about our struggles. Be honest with God about our struggles. Habakkuk uh, shares his struggles in the heading in, in my Bible. Maybe it's not in yours, but in my ESV Bible. At the end of verse 1, before verse 2, it says Habakkuk's complaint. Habakkuk's complaint. You see, that's exactly what it was. He was complaining against God. How refreshing is that? Habakkuk goes to the website of God. Like we go to Amazon, and he has seen what God has done, and he goes to the review page on God's website, and you know what he says? One star. Customer service stinks. He doesn't live up to what he says he's going to do. I was told that this God was going to rule the nations. I, told, I was told this God was going to make low the enemies of God and he would snuff out evil. And none of that has been accomplished. In fact, it's gotten worse under his time. I give it one star. Don't buy into this God. And some of us in our times of tragedy and sorrow, we want to give God one star. And I want you to know there's a reason why God allows us to be in Scripture because I think God loves it when we're honest with Him. I think He loves it when we say, hey, you know what, I'm, I really don't like you that much. I'm not your biggest fan right now. Because God tells us in the New Testament that we are to cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. All those anxieties, all those concerns, all of those unresolved situations we need to go to God with our struggles and we need to be honest with him he complains he cries out notice number two when God seems silent or distance or even absent stay humble and know God's in charge now in your honesty listen be careful you are talking with God and don't say something that dishonors God does Habakkuk complain? Yep. But notice what he does over and over again. He knows who he's talking about. Verse 2, O Lord. Verse 12, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. Verse 12 again, O Lord, O Rock. You go down into the passage and you notice, and the Lord answered me in verse 2 of chapter 2. He goes on and he says uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. God, you came in verse 3, it says. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, verse 8? He says you have everlasting ways in chapter 3. And notice in uh, chapter 3 at the end of the of the book, God the Lord is my strength. And He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. You see, even amidst his complaint, he knew who he was talking about. I want my, listen, I want my children, my boys to be honest with me, but I don't want them to disrespect me. 
And God doesn't want you to be disrespectful either. So recognize God's in control. You may not like what God is doing, and God gives you the right to ask and to complain and to criticize even. And He's okay with that, but He's not okay with you dishonoring Him, for He is an all-consuming fire. Be very careful. No, God is in control. So stay humble. Number three, and I'll close with this. When God seems absent or, or distant, grab a hold of God. Grab a hold of God instead of other things. Well, where do you find this in the text? Go back to verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk. We don't know much about Habakkuk. We've already talked about that. But what we do know is his name. His name in the Hebrew literally is... You can write this down. This is important. Maybe you've got a pregnancy and looking for a boy's name. And this might help you. He's the embracer of God. In modern vernacular, he's the hugger of God. He's the holder of God. I know the world isn't easy, and I know your faith is being rattled, and it seems like evil has won the day. In those moments, Christian, when we feel like we're on the losing side, be honest with God, stay humble before Him, and grab a hold of Him as tightly as you can. The devil wants you to isolate yourself from his people and isolate yourself from God. But do what my boys did when they were younger, when they heard the claps of thunder. They would run to their dad, and they would grab a hold of their dad, and they would say, Father, protect me. Daddy, make sure I'm okay. And in moments where we feel like the world is caving in, it's not a time to hold on to our bank accounts, not a time to hold on to other people, but to run and hold and hug and grab the God of the universe because He is faithful. In times like this, we should remember, and we're going to close now, but in times like this, we should remember the words of Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 will be our closing prayer. So bow your heads as you listen to this impressive prayer sung by the sons of Korah. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. God utters His voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So come, behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. How He has made wars cease to the ends of the earth. How He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. How He burns the chariots with fire. Therefore, people of Village Bible Church, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen? So let's leave here as more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, knowing the God who promised is faithful.